Well, vinylers and vinylettes, welcome to this week's episode of the Aberdeen Vinyl Records Podcast. This is episode three of our world-beating, multi-award-winning show. Just before we get to talking about this week's guest, who we're very lucky to have and delighted to have, I just thought it was a great show we did last time there with uh, Mr. Mark Miller. Oh, it was incredible, wasn't it? How lucky were we to have a guy like that on? We really hope that you all, uh, for everyone that tuned in, we really hope you enjoyed it. And even more so, since then, we hope you've all managed to binge the whole of Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix, which is available now and it is unmissable. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a great show. It's a fantastic show. As you know, Mark is the, the god of that genre, so obviously you won't go wrong if you get a chance to watch that. And I want to give a special thanks to Lee here for this week's guest and persuading him to come on our show. An absolute gem of a guy, brilliant to listen to, and such a funny, smart, well-experienced guy in the music industry. He's got so much to say about it, all of it's so relevant, and if you're interested at all in music and vinyl records, you're going to love this. Well, Lee, tell us a bit more about this guy. So, we were really lucky to have this chap on. Today's guest has played live with people from Little Richard to the Damned. You could indeed use the word varied, but varied is actually better used to describe his life and his incredible experiences. From Bowie to McCartney, Elton John and Freddie Mercury. But we're going to let the man himself tell you all about it. Suicide, welcome and thanks so much for joining us here today on the Aberdeen Vinyl Record Podcast. How are you, sweetheart? Good morning, Vietnam! (laughs) (laughs) How are you? (laughs) Never gonna be as good as you. How we doing, sir? You never knew. You didn't know I spoke Scottish, did you? Okay. I didn't realise you could speak English. How are you? (laughs) 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 Well, uh, I. uh, I only learnt English in jail. I just kind of <laughs> no, not. I haven't really been to jail. Um, can I just open with the Johnny Johnny Thunders? What he said to me? Yes, of course. Sure, they always buddy. go at the beginning of their set. They always go. This is rock and roll radio. Stay tuned for more rock and roll. <laughs> and Johnny Ramon, when I was starting, because I'm a drummer by trade, and when I was starting to play guitar. We, we did a tour with them and, and, and I asked him, I said, oh, do you know what? I'm going to play guitar. I'm going to be like you, Johnny. And he says, oh, great. I says, have you got any tips? And he says, learn to stand right with your legs astride, looking great. Get your guitar nice and low. And as soon as you think, well, I look great, then worry about, then and only then, worry about playing it. <laughs> that's only that's... when you look good will it sound good and was that Johnny Ramon that told you that well I look good you see I've spent a lot of time in front of the mirror 
thinking, <laughs> you jammy bastard. Why, why, God, did you choose me on this mission of beauty? So, anyway, the thing is, I, I mean, I'd marry myself and have children if I could. <laughs> but anyway, so... Oh, God. So, anyway, the thing is, and he said, uh, yeah, he said, uh, learn to look good, son, and then learn how to play. And don't worry. So I still haven't quite learned how to play, but I've done two albums now with, with Bowie's producer, Trevor Boulder. Yeah, yeah. And um, You look great, Steve. It was funny because... Was, isn't this everything? <laughs> Do you know, people, people, <laughs> people listen with their eyes, you know? Absolutely. I mean, the, the moment I saw the New York Dolls, that was it for me. When was and that? Like, even when, like, seven, when oh, was that, Stevie? 99. 99, that yeah? That was 1969 when I was, 69, I was just leaving weird. school. Oh, okay. 69. Oh, the Dolls were, were, the, the dolls were there late 60s. Not a lot of people know that. And uh, near my school was a record shop and there was this record, their first album, and they were all sat on on a settee, oh, each one of them with dark glasses and cigarettes in their gobs, yeah, uh, and just looking like debauched transsexuals. <laughs> um, they, they look quite pretty, you know, but they might just slit your throat. <laughs> Dangerously There's a great pretty. line on... Dangerously pretty, but uh, sleep with your hand on your wallet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, the thing is, I wanted to get that, and I wanted to get it so much. And I managed to save up the money. And I remember sitting on the bus right in the front with all these commuters going home. And uh, I couldn't wait to pull the album out of the, out of the bag. And you could sense people around me as Mr. Man at CNA going, ooh, how disgusting. And I was thinking, great. <laughs> <laughs> Read it and weep, Bozo. <laughs> it's the nearest you'll ever get to rock and roll, and I'm the nearest you'll get to being beautiful, boy. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's your demo. So, so anyway, the thing is, um, I was telling the story that um, uh, uh, when I was working with Bowie's Trevor Boulder, um, this is why I think Michael Jackson um, liked the company of young people so much. Because of the innocence of a young person. Do you know what I mean? I don't think there was any malice in Michael Jackson whatsoever. I can only concern myself with his immense talent. And when he was being managed by a guy called Frank DeLeo, uh -huh. uh, yeah. Frank had a couple of daughters. Yeah, yeah, the big guy with the yeah, um, yeah cigar. massive guy. That's it. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah he was the best manager that Michael had. I think Michael should have kept him. I don't know what happened there, but it was about the time of Dirty uh, Diana. Dirty <laughs> Diana. Did you think that was him? Yeah, that wasn't him. He's not. He's not here. He's dead. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty Diana, no. Dirty Diana. <laughs> she says he's not coming home tonight. He's staying with me. Dirty Diana. And when he was doing this, I had that Diana. Sorry, I got on my, on my, on my, my tongue went wild then. When he was doing Dirty da, 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 Diana, yeah. he... Um, he was with Frank DeLeo, right? Frank DeLeo has two daughters. He's maybe got three now. He's maybe got 20. I don't know. Uh, they were at college. 
at high school rather. Uh-huh. And there was a lesson at high school. They were studying reptiles, you know. So they said, Daddy, do you think Michael would lend us a snake to take to school? So Frank says, well, give him a ring. So he gave him a ring and, and he said, oh, can I speak to him? And he says, yeah, here's Michael wants to talk to you. You know, Michael wants to talk to you. How good is that for a young kid? Do you know what I mean? I know. For somebody yeah, to take yeah. the time. And it's beautiful, man. It's brilliant. Absolutely. And um, he really cared. And Michael said to the young lady, he said, uh, can I come with you? And she said, yeah. <laughs> Imagine turning up at a school, a school field day with Michael Jackson Jesus. in his limo, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And a, and a boot full of snakes and spiders. <laughs> so he brought a, a variety of... He brought a variety of reptiles and he turned up at the at her um, school. And imagine, I mean, imagine what the other pupils were like. Oh, my God, it's Michael Jackson. Hell. And uh, he spent the whole day with them. Uh, wow. Nothing sinister or anything. No, 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 he no, just no, wanted totally. to help. Yeah. Do you know, he just wanted to help. And I can't understand these people who walk... Go, I mean, there's a young lad around the corner and his mum said to me the other day, would you give him a lesson? And I said, yeah, because how much do you want? I said, nothing. Cup yeah. of tea. Yeah, As soon as this virus lifts, I'm going to spend the day with him and I'll get him going on drums. I, I, there's an easy way of playing drums, honestly. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I was just thinking of, of the... Of the sincerity of Michael Jackson and his love for younger people. I think in his lifetime, because he'd been bossed about by adults yeah, so yeah, much, yeah, yeah. That he didn't feel friend or or he'd buy a he'd buy a chimpanzee who the only the only rules he'd have is banana. I went banana no <laughs> You know it's just yeah, here's a banana, shut your gob, do you know what I mean? It's better than children like that. That's all you want, that's all right. Hey Stevie, I wonder if we can Here's a banana. <laughs> Stevie, I wonder if we can actually open up about your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty banana. I was going to ask you, Stevie, if we could uh, talk about your time. Um, oh, yeah, so he's singing, he's singing, he's going, Dirty Diana, and this bloody creek's going, Banana, banana, oh, shut up, shut up, get back in the cupboard. Oh, my God. It, it's worse than having a wife, that. Stevie, oh, you're better off with a wife than a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a very contentious oh, Somebody asked me about marriage. Somebody asked me about marriage. I said, well, a long term marriage is it's kind of like living with your mother, but you get to see them with nothing on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, you've just changed my 16 year relationship. Sorry, what was you, what, Definitely. I was going to ask you, Stevie, hey? um, how come you got in the UK subs? Because you were, you were in the UK subs back in the day, weren't you? Yes, I was in a fantastic. I was in this. I was in this band in York that was absolutely. I thought they were great. And, um, they were doing their own stuff. They were doing their own material. Yeah. And well, let me start at the beginning. Um, first of all, I ran home. I, I, my father was a pianist at Caesar's Palace. He was a musical director and pianist at Caesar's Palace, not Las Vegas, but there's two of them, you know, yeah. Luton. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, the fancy <laughs> one. <laughs> oh, yeah, the fancy one. And it's really funny because it's like a glorious working, glorified working men's club in there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And but they'd have all the top artists, Tom Jones, you name it, you got oh, it. Wow. There was a, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a great story where. Concert secretary comes on. He says, uh, "Now, all ladies and gentlemen, I've got to tell you to stop, gentlemen, stop putting your tabs into the urinals <laughs> because they just fill up with piss, and you end up stood up to your ankles <laughs> in piss." Do not put your tabs in the urinals. Anyway, it's cabaret time, and here she is, Shirley Bassey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And there's a great story about Shirley. Well, there's a great story about Shirley Bassey. Trevor was telling me. I think it was Aylesbury Friars, which is a bit like Batley Variety Club, but down there. Um, in Aylesbury and uh, it just started the Ziggy Stardust thing so it just started going on with all this makeup and Mick Ronson with blonde hair and Trevor with the sideburns you know yeah and he's just about to go on stage and he said I, I need a loo I-, I need a wee I need a wee and the concert secretary goes because these guys the, 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 their understanding of art and not just very little you know I mean he's yeah. probably um I don't know. He's probably foreman at the local factory in the daytime. Do you know what I mean? So he's got no understanding of what an artist needs. Yeah. He says, I, I need to go to the toilet. And uh, Trevor was saying, this concert secretary goes, uh, well, he says, I, I very much recommend you do not go out there dressed like that. <laughs> he says, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so he says, well, how can I wee? He says, well, if you go backstage down that corridor, turn left and there's a sink and he says I was a bit a little bit special and he said uh, um, well if you don't mind I, I'm not really are you expecting me to pee in a sink and the bloke says well it were good enough for Shirley Bassey ah! <laughs> oh my god so, is this, are you talking about David well, Bowie you, you can't go on stage wanting a wee can you do you know what I mean was that David Bowie you that was David about? Bowie yeah wow. well, yeah, on his so first crazy. British as it, on his first British tour ever as Ziggy Stardust with wow. Trevor Boulder on bass Mick Ronson on guitar and Woody on drums yeah, yeah and um so getting back to the innocence of children before I get on to me is uh, there's a great story when I was working at MGMM. That's MGMM, not MGM. MGM yeah. is Hollywood. MGMM, which is Mulaney, Grant, Malik, Mulcahy. And they did all the big, big, big Berkeley, thousands of pounds worth of Duran Duran videos and things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was very special. I, I invented a little job for myself in there. Um, that's why I worked with, you know, Diana Ross, Tina Turner, the Rolling Stones, Freddie Mercury, blah, 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 blah. That's me, Pink Butler. Yes, I was a punk butler with pink hair. And I invented this job for myself. I went to Jackie Byford, who's the uh, producer. And I said, Jackie, do you know what you need? Because, I mean, I'm not qualified at anything. Do you know what I mean? I was like, show you how to drink a bottle of wine but and tell you about <laughs> nail polish darling <laughs> and uh, oh 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 and how to play guitar as well oh and how to look good so anyway um i, I said to her you know what you need because we were always trying to outdo 
other companies and film companies, you know. So I said, I've got a great idea, Jackie. Why don't you hire somebody as like, well, like me, like a, a punk butler who will stay, whose sole job is to stay within 20 feet of whoever the star is. Yeah, yeah. Or the stars. And pander to their every need. So I'd get I'd get a, a budget of 500 quid or whatever, a little jeep to ride around in, and um, uh, a list of what everybody wanted. Like they might want Perrier water, Coca-Cola, and I'd get all I'd get all fruit and put it out and get every single newspaper and spread those out like on the TV on the morning so they could read the newspaper, relax, uh, loads of good coffee and everything. Yeah. And um, that was my job. Uh, and she says, leave it with me. She says, you're talking about you, aren't you? I said, yeah, yeah, definitely. I need to work. And uh, a couple of days later, she rang me up and said, uh, do you want to do Elton on Friday? I said, Elton John. She says, yeah. And I says, yeah, of course. Spent the whole weekend with Elton John within 20 feet of him. Um, looking after the first part of it was looking after his glasses because he had a stunt double to do his dancing because he's not no the greatest he's hardly Fred is staring is um, that right he had, and, he had uh, a stunt double for dancing is that true yes oh, yeah God. yeah and do you know what I can't remember what track it was now so I knocked on his caravan door and he opened the door and he said Oh, you must be Stevie. And he had his, um, bless him, what a great guy. I was frightened at first. You know, I was really quite nervous. And uh, he had his white dressing gown on, and he had all these clips in his hair where he was just having his wig put on, do you know what I mean? And he says, darling, come in, come in. So I came in and he said, uh, these are my glasses. And give me these blue glasses. And he said, you've got to give these to that dancer over there because he's supposed to be me. But he says, I don't want you to leave these glasses because they're my favourites. So while he's doing his bit as as dancing, because there'll be no close-ups, he'll wear these blue glasses for continuity, you know? <laughs> and he says, I don't want anybody in breaking them or losing them. So I didn't. That was my first job, was with Elton John, as mind to his glasses. And I worked with him a couple of other times as well. And he was absolutely the most gorgeous man. I was expecting... You know, two twos at dawn or something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Very yeah. fussiness. And he was—he wasn't like that at all. And one of the first things he did, he threw a towel at me and he says, "There you are, young man. And if you're ever in Glasgow, and I don't know what he meant by that." And I said, "Oh, thanks, Elton." I folded it up, what? put it down for him. Do you want anything, anything <laughs> to drink? It's like, like Freddie Mercury. Every morning, Freddie Mercury, without fail, I, I worked with him three times. Um, Including the Madame Montserrat Caballier yeah, yeah, video. Yeah. Uh, Barcelona, it is my favorite melody. Barcelona. That's not him, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to tell. I don't want you to think. I don't you think I don't want you to think I'm hiding all these stars in the bathroom. You know. It's so like, you're responsible for their deaths. We've all been there. <laughs> it's they're not they're not really they're not really dead, they're in my toilet. <laughs> Just a little inside. Yeah, yeah. When they get smelly, I just put them seconds at tip. And anyway, so anyway, um, it's like Freddie Mercury. Every mo- every morning without fail, Freddie had to have Vladivar vodka. Which I don't know if you know this, but if you put vodka in the freezer, it doesn't solidify. It just goes like slushy, like oil. 
Yeah. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you wanted that frozen, and you put that in the bottom of the glass, then fill the glass up with Dom Perignon champagne, and give it a little whisk with a spoon, and that's it. You know. So when 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 I did Barcelona, <laughs> darlings. Barcelona, there I was with all this. Anyway, they put us in Pinewood and they put Freddie yeah. in Sir Roger Moore's dress, dressing room. And he walked in, I walked into Roger Moore's dressing room and uh, all you could see out the back window was this, the great big Bond stage with 007 written on the side, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I thought, this is great. Wait till, wait till I tell Freddie. I'd worked with him a couple of times, so he knew me as Stevie Boy. You know, he always called me Stevie Boy. I don't know why. Anyway, so um, uh, I got there and I got all his stuff ready and his drinks in the thing and everything. Martin Montserrat Valley hadn't arrived at that point and then the back doors opened and in was Freddie with about 18 bodyguards, you know, and he's got his he's got his shades on and, and he's got his cigarette in the holder. He was a social star. I mean, yeah. he really yeah, was a yeah. social star. But he wasn't like what you'd think. He wasn't standoffish. You know, if I said, oh, um, Lee, Bob, this is Freddie, he'd go, hello, darlings, how are you? It was like that. It wasn't like... Oh no, I don't want to meet anybody yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. or anything like that. None of this fancy shit. And and the, the thing is, he adored life. Anyway, as he walked in, he said, "Good morning, Stevie boy." I said, "Hey, morning, Fred. Guess what? You're in. They put you in Roger Moore's dressing room." And he said to me, "Well, let's hope he's kept, kept it tidy." <laughs> oh my god Brilliant. he says I I hope he's bloody hoovered up <laughs> you know, so that's not all this year. so he says will you let me know when um, when Madame M- Madame arrives and I says yeah of course I will so I've, I've fixed his drink and by this time he got into his dressing gown he had a cigarette in his hand he wanted his morning tipple Um and he had loads of hairspray, and I'll explain that in a minute. On and I mean, whenever Freddie walked into a room, it filled with the most beautiful aroma of perfume, <laughs> you know, expensive perfume. Yeah. And uh, so as I handed him the drink, I just flippantly said, "Yeah, Freddie." And as he took it off me, I said, "Shaking nuts, <laughs> <laughs> like Bond, you know." <laughs> and he says. Oh, Dobie's so fucking silly. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was no, he was la- he was laughing. He was laughing. Yeah, Don't yeah. be so fucking silly, dear. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Says, he says, "Has she arrived yet?" So I says, "Well, I'll go and have a look." So I went down the corridor and had a look, and she she was she was in her dressing room. So I went to walk into her dressing room, and this man mountain stood in front of me. This guy looked like he could, you know, crush the Empire State Building. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and and. Uh, and he put his big hand on my chest and he says, you cannot come in here. He was foreign, but I can't do foreign. He says, oh, you cannot come in here. He says, um, madam's in there. He says, look, if you come in here, there's no cigarettes, no food, no uh, perfume, no alcohol, nothing, uh, which is bizarre because she wasn't like that at all. You know, it's usually the people around these people that are, have got the problem. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, okay, well, I don't want to go in there anyway. So I went back to Fred. I said, she see her? Oh, he says, let's go and see her. 
So I followed him down the corridor and he walked up to this man mountain, do you know? Um, and I thought, I'm staying out of this. I'm having <laughs> nothing to do with yeah. this whatsoever. And the guy stood in front of Freddie, towering over Freddie. And just as he was going to speak, Freddie goes, get out of the fucking way, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and wafted, wafted him like, like, you know, like a wasp in his swimming trunks. Do you know what I mean? He's like... <laughs> He says, darling, darling, as much as I love you, you really must fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) And and then he walked into into Madam and he just heard this, darling, (laughs) moi, moi, moi. It was so so camp, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That it was... It was hilarious to work with him. So getting back to the Michael Jackson thing and the innocence of children, when I was at MGMM doing all these videos, there was um, uh, one of the producers there was called Nikki. And she had a daughter at the same school as Bowie's Zoe. Aha, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Zoe, Zoe Bowie is, was a boy. Yeah, it's David. Uh, they called him uh, Zoe because he... Uh, I think he's changed his name to Simon now. I think it's Duncan, but, um, Duncan Boy. Duncan, yeah. Duncan Boy. Duncan Something Jones. really, yeah. That's right. That's it, of course. I mean, he, the reason he went to, he, he changed his name to Bowie was because of Davy Jones from the Monkees, who yeah, was a big star right. at the time. Yeah. So he didn't want a Davy Jones. So it's David Bowie. What a good, what a great name, isn't it? It really is, isn't and, it? Uh, yeah. Oh, it's so rock star, really. I love all that rock star bit. And um, the, Nikki was on the school run with her little kid, her little girl who was about 10 or 11. You know, not a tiny kid, but old enough to know what's what. Um, and they were on the school run, and all the cars and 4x4s were all outside and everything. Suddenly, this limo. This is the height of Ziggy. This is 72, you know? Yeah, yeah. And suddenly this chauffeur-driven limousine, longer than the street, rolls up and parks right in front of the gates. David Bowie gets out with his orange hair, <laughs> lights a cigarette, and stands there in all his gear looking a million dollars. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, And yeah. he's having a cigarette. And all the got his shades on and everything, and all the mums and dads were going, "Oh my God! Oh my God! It's Bowie!" They really couldn't take their eyes off him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so when, when this is a lovely story, I think. So when Nikki's little girl came out, just to see if she knew what's what, she says, "Do you know that? I've forgotten her name now. Do you know that is over there?" And she says, "Oh yes, that's Zoe's daddy." Oh, no. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, in that sweet, yeah, Paul McCartney's son once, yeah, Paul McCartney's son apparently once said to him, um, "Daddy, are, are you Paul McCartney?" <sighs> you know, they have to work, they have to work it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think the, I think the reason Michael Jackson is one of my favourite performers ever, um, like young people so much, is because. It kept him away from the grief that adults had given him. Well, adults were just ripping him off and I mean, taking him for all his money, really, weren't they? Oh, absolutely. And mm-hmm. then they then they backstab him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I've in my second book, it says like it, it took me to breaking point. That did. Uh, I was in 
when I used to live in Chelsea, me and do you know Def Leppard, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Def Leppard. Not um, personally, but we yeah, and, um Ah, well, uh, I lived in Oakley Street. George Best lived at number 87 Oakley Street, and I lived at 106. I often went drinking with him. With George um, Best, the footballer? George, you're joking, are you? He lived at number 87, yeah. Oh, um, the George Best. I was oh. with him. I was with... I was with him and I, oh, it was great. And it, it, when he uh, when he passed him in the street and he'd go, hi, Stevie, fancy a pint? Oh, yeah, all right then. And uh, uh, it, it was just like, well, I drink to a certain degree, but he was drinking for England, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, he even started drinking after, his, after he'd had his new liver. Yeah. He yeah. came straight out of hospital into a pub. So, you know... Yeah, there was no helping him. However, this story surrounds um, Steve Clark, lead guitar, late, the late lead guitarist from um, Def Leppard. Yeah, and I'll read it from I'll read it from the book for you. Then I don't miss anything. Sure. Um, yeah. Once, one Sunday, we then I used to go drinking. Me and him. You see, I mean, he's from Sheffield, and I'm from Yorkshire. Well, I'm not from Yorkshire. I said from Lancashire, but same Northern Git territory. And uh, he goes, um, we then proceeded to the King's. This is me. We then to, this is a great story. This we then to, proceeded to the King's Head to put the world to rights, and we did as we did most Sundays. But there, there was there were occasions when we would put in an appearance midweek. It was on such an occasion that what can only be described as a Keith Moon moment occurred. But then it was inevitably going to happen one day. Poor old Steve was demonstrating a Pete Townsend's windmill on his guitar <laughs> from the bar stool, imitating the Who's Pete Townsend completely. However, after a few too many, he lost it completely. This is one dinner time, yeah? He lost it completely and fell off, plunging into a whole table full of besuited office workers on their oh. lunch break. <laughs> yeah, it gets better. Landing straight into their dinners. Steve was suddenly covered in meat pie and chips. Oh, what a wonderful moment. And the shepherd's pie, the now shepherd's pie encrusted suits were laid everywhere. Oh, heck. From this, I expected a total ban, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen, mate, because uh, basically Steve Clark used to spend so much money in that pub. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Much to my surprise, Steve and I spent so much money in there. We were only banned for win from windmilling and only at dinner time. So he actually said, no, Pete Townsend. <laughs> Look, you, you can continue to... You can continue to drink here, but no windmilling... At dinner times. <laughs> so you do it on the night, do you know what I mean? <laughs> the office boys were reimbursed and returned to their work, happily covered in their dinners, with a story to tell about having met a, a bit of a rock and roll rebel, uh, which I'm sure they'll dine out on for years to come. 
After all, it's not every day a million dollars worth of guitarist lands in your shepherd's pie. <laughs> brilliant! Oh, my God! That's fantastic. That's brilliant. And we, 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 we just carried on drinking with the promise to the landlord, no windmilling. <laughs> you know, anyone else would have been thrown out. Yeah, but, yeah know, definitely. And, and then... Then thingy say drinks all round and it might be a packed pub, but he could afford it. He's a multimillionaire. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So he'd buy drinks all round. So the landlord ain't gonna ban him, is he? No. Do you no, know no, what no, I mean? So so that's it. So I ended up leaving home at seventeen. My dad retired from Caesar's Palace and he wanted to move up to York. Uh, and I hated it at first. There was nothing here for me. Oh, yeah. nothing but flat cap, flat caps, and I'm not going to say it. Flat caps and bigotry, really. Uh-huh, Especially if you look very girly. I looked very girly when I was younger. Uh-huh. Whoa, what you got your glasses on your head for? It was my fucking head. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I thought. That's enough of this. I've, I've had enough of this. So what I did was I answered an advert to go to Singapore with three RAF boys who had been stationed in Singapore. And they had, there was a big Michael Tan, an agent over there, had, had a big um, a, a, a big stable of bands, all Chinese and Pakistani, Indian, you name it, Malaysian. And there were some great bands out there. It yeah. was fantastic. So I had an ad, and I was only 17. And I only got the job because no one else went for the job. But what they wanted to do was go back to Singapore and play seven nights a week in a pub at the bottom, well, they call it a pub. It was a club at night. And in the day, it was part of the Hotel Malaysia on Orchard Road. And um, played there seven nights a week and stayed there for nearly a year. Wow. But I have to tell you this, and I'll, I'll read this as well. Um, on returning home to England, I became the youngest drummer at the age of 18 to play behind various American soul acts under the watchful eye of top agent and manager Tony French. Tony's passed away now. Uh, what, what used to happen is if, 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 if it was an old act, they, they were always budgeted to come to England and pay for all the bands as well. Yeah. So just the singer would go, or the singers, uh, and they'd put a band together here for them. <laughs> so I was on his books and playing drums. I toured with the legendary James and Bobby Purify with their 60s release, Army Puppet. Do you remember that? Yeah. Pull the string and I'll wink at you. I'm your puppet. Yeah. Yeah. Remember do you remember that? that? I do. Not song as well as you. And shake yourself. <laughs> I also, well, I played it on a whole tour. Also, the Drifters, Johnny Johnson, I played drums for the Drifters, Johnny Johnson and the Badenwagon, Billy Fury, amongst many others, including the Liverpool soul band, The Real Thing, on their number one hit, You To Me Are Everything. I got 25 quid. Wow! There you yeah. go. So I played, played in the number one, and I just went in there and just went one, two, three, ba 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 da down, da 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 down, da 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 down, da da da. Next thing I know, it's at number one. Um, they wow. may have replaced my drumming, drumming. They didn't. So that brought us on to Jimmy Ruffin, um, Little Richard. Wow! And 
I played with all these people, but on my first tour with James and Bobby Purify, I realised about tempos because I'd become a very, very excellent drummer by this stage. And there I am in a soul group with all these black guys, which, what an education, man. Yeah, yeah. I was so honoured to be probably the only white guy to be allowed to work with them because uh-huh. I knew it so well. <laughs> And we got on stage and Jimmy Purify used to count in, do the countings. Uh, and this is how I got this gig. Um, he'd go, two, three, four. Mm, pull the string and I'll wink at you. I'm your puppet. And I said, which is a brave thing to do for an 18-year-old kid, and a white kid as well, to a, a black soul legend like Jimmy Purify. I said, Jimmy, do you mind me? telling you something I said you know when you do Army Puppet and many others I said he's counting them in too fast and it's spoiling it he says okay boy you do it from now on I said oh right no pressure there then so the next (laughs) night I had to do the count in so I thought well well, I know what I'm doing I know what I'm doing here so I go one two three four boom bap boom boom bap boom boom bap boom boom bap boom pull the string and I'll wink at you I'm your puppet boom boom suddenly it's soul yeah, 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 man. You know, well and truly. The drift, the drifters were, the drifters were the same. They used to go on the broad walk, broad walk. But it's not, it's not a race. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It should be on the broad walk, broad walk. Saturday night at the movies. Who cares what picture you see? When they first came over, they were doing this. Uh, Saturday night at the movies, who cares what bitch? So no, no, you, you're killing it. You're killing all the soul off it. And um, I got all the countings. So that was... Uh, and were they happy with that? Did they, did they end up seeing uh, the logic of it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because they were musicians, you see. They, they'd left the musicians back in the States. Ah, oh, of course. Aye, so it was just so a they were working with me. a hired band. Is that oh, right, yeah? yeah? Yeah, what yeah. happened is, um, say the drifters were coming over, or Jimmy thingy, Jimmy yeah. Ruffin, he'd just he'd just come over with himself, or his, um, or indeed his uh, his wife or girlfriend, and his management would over there would ring Tony French up and say, look, he need. He needs a drummer, brass, bass player, yeah, lead yeah. guitar, rhythm guitar, trumpets, brass section, whatever, three black chick, chick backing singers, uh, and that would all be put together. And I'd receive a tape saying, um, I'd receive a tape saying, learn this. Right now, I'm looking here for which brings me to. I came back from Singapore, and that was my job uh, yeah. from 1971, 72 through to about 74. It was back in these these singers. Um, I was asked by Mike Laycock, chief editor of the press in York, just how I could have possibly forgotten. Pl- having played drums behind the legend that is the rock star Little Richard on a TV show during a tour in Germany. And I said, I just, 
because I've done so much that I can't believe how much I've done. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And you just forget, don't you? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, we got a call in the middle of the night at our hotel in Germany. It was on tour there anyway. And it was Tony. No mobile phones or computers then. So this ridiculous phone call came in about four o'clock in the morning. Lads, I've got a job for you. You've got to go across country and, you know, Germany's not a small place. Uh, you've got a long journey um, and you've got to be at so-and-so film studios by half past ten. So, okay then, so we all go, what is it? Oh, it's Little, Little Richard. Uh, and the song, if you want to rehearse it on the way, is... Um, I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. Which starts off with the drums. Yeah. And uh, I thought, oh, that's good. Get me teeth around that. <laughs> so we turned up at the film studio, and in front of where we set up was this huge grand piano. And it was Little Richard's personal grand piano. And he had some candelabras on it. Uh, but when you looked at it closely, it looked like it had been hit with a sledgehammer. Do you know what I mean? It was absolutely battered it to pieces. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, he used to jump on it and all sorts, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the director said, right, go into some breakfast for you all. If you go into your dressing room and we will call you. And then it's come out and it starts with the drums. So it starts with one, two, three, you know, and then you're in. Um, and it's just just a, 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 a rock and roll in A, you know. So everybody's okay with that, easy peasy. With musicians, you know, pro musicians, no need to rehearse or anything like that. Yeah. And um, we waited and waited, and then we got the call. And the director said, well, well, this is your signal. Uh, lights, cameras, and action. And um, then he pointed to me on drums. And I would start this. <laughs> so I haven't even seen him yet. Um, so it's live on television, live on German television. And he goes, um, oh, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But there was an audience there. And uh, he says, right, lights, cameras, and Action! And I went, and he, he comes walking on while I'm doing that on the drums, uh, ferociously, by the way, because uh, I was so enthusiastic. Adrenaline was rushing through me. Um, and then he sat at the piano. I ain't you, but you can't come in. I ain't you, but you can't come in. Come back another day and try it again. That wasn't him either. He lives in the basement here. He's not really dead. And uh, um, well, he makes he makes a he makes a nice shepherd's pie, you see. So I let him out on Wednesdays to, to do a shepherd's pie, and then I lock him in the shed. And you can hear him in an, on the night going. But you can't come in. Are you laughing, but you can't. Come back tomorrow and I'll try it again. Come back tomorrow and I'll try it again. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that is me. God. So, anyway. <laughs> I didn't breathe after you know, that. Thing is, um, oh, yeah. thank you, mate. I'm good, Anna. <laughs> look, I look even better. <laughs> oh dear I must, I must try and get over myself then I grew tired of backing other people I wanted to be in the band Queen had come out 
and I wanted to be in a band with a great singer of my own who would, you know, emulate original material. And yeah. cut a long story short, I joined a, a couple of bands in York doing that. Um, and it didn't work out because for me, I was a pro. Yeah. And I needed to be out there making, and they were all all builders during the week, or bricklayers, or stonemasons, or something. Uh-huh. Uh, and then on the weekend, they were having a dabble. And I said, I can't stay. I can't stay. I've got to go. I've got to go. So I left, and I thought, What am I going to do now? And there was a band called Bittersweet in um, in Newcastle, and they wanted me. And they were a great band, but they were a cabaret band. Uh-huh. And I wasn't really. I wanted to be wild. You know, yeah, I needed yeah, something. Yeah. Wow, I needed some danger. Basically, I needed some danger, and um, I wanted to be a hooligan. <laughs> I want to be a musician. I want to be a hooligan. <laughs> I want to play like a murderer. <laughs> I want to be a car thief. I'm going to steal your car. I'm going to steal your woman, and then when I finish with them, I'll steal someone else's. <laughs> so where do I find that? So anyway. Punk, punk came out and there was a band in York called Cyanide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I heard about this band Cyanide. Yeah. Bob DeFries, um, uh, Dave Zeff, that's his nickname, Stuart on guitar, uh, and a guy called, um, oh, what's he called? I'll, I'll remember it in a minute. Jock, Jock Marsden, David Jock Marsden on bass. Jock and this is hard for me because Jock and Bob are actually passed away now. Mm-hmm. They're no longer with us. But what a band! Jock, Jock used to put um, all talcum powder in his hair, and then as soon as he started one two three, and he'd jump up and pogo, and all this stuff would come out of his hair and go everywhere. And oh, it was just superb, man! Absolutely superb. It looked like he was uh, and Bob the Priest was a head. real. Oh, he was. Yeah, I think some of his brains did come out. <laughs> but through, I think some because I, I saw some a couple of uh, clinkers coming out of his nose, and I thought, hey, your, your brains are coming out now. Oh and I God. thought, well, how do I do that? And I, cause I didn't have a brain like Jock. Jock was very brainy, and I thought, well, I don't have a brain, so I put glitter in my hair. <laughs> I put glitter in my hair. I didn't really care. You know, if you want to do that joke, yeah, it's your business, not mine. You know, you do what you want. <laughs> and we were, I, I've got to join this band. So cut a long story short, I joined Cyanide. And we were hooligans, absolute hooligans. And wherever we played, pubs, clubs, round York, yeah, it was absolutely steaming packed with kids. Yeah. All looking brilliant with Mohicans and, and, and all that. And that was just the women. And it's just like, <laughs> wow, fantastic. Was this at the height of punk? And uh, that's the first time. Very much the height of punk. And I'm talking about 76. Yeah, yeah. 77. It was, uh, do you know, it was actually The Damned were the first punk band. Did you know that? No, I didn't know. Well, I no. played with The Damned. Yeah. yeah, I played drums with the dam when Rat, Rat Scabies wasn't very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, did, I went on tour with them. Uh, and, and then I did a, 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 a an album called Troops of Tomorrow with The Exploited. And I was still in UK subs. So in those days, it was a bit like being in uh, the Arctic Monkeys 
uh, Kaiser Chiefs and someone yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe. Sure. Yeah, and, and Dolly Parton. I want to be Dolly Parton. I, I think sometimes I look like her. If you if you've had a few too much to drink, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, well, as long as you don't sound like skirts, me, don't I? I, don't I will know, always you tell me. love you. <laughs> I don't know. It depends how much I want to drink. So, um, so I joined Cyanide, and then, cut a long story short, Cyanide got a tour supporting a British tour supporting UK subs. Yep. And UK subs were UK subs were just my heroes. They were doing top of the pops every week, nearly, and they'd already got two top twenty albums. And I thought that'd be great to be in a band like that. And so we went on tour with them, and within a week, I was asked to join them. Why? Because their drummer happened to be leaving. Yeah. I don't know the politics of that. I don't know. It's, that's none of my business. But he wanted to be leaving, and so the bass player left as well. Because the drummer, uh, the drummer Pete, was living with Joe Slack, who was the sister of Paul Slack, the original bass player. Yeah. And I was upset because I thought, you know, I've got this feeling, Lee and Bob, that once once you break up an original formula of a band, yeah. 99% of the time it ruins it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's never the same again. You lose that but we were really lucky. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly I was in this band that I adored. And Nick Garrett was a genius. I've never seen anybody. The only person that I've seen that's like Nick for sheer energy and moving on stage is Angus from okay. ACDC. Yeah. yeah. You know, Nick was all over the stage. He, he, he threw his guitar up 20 feet in the air and stand back and let it bang on the floor then pick up <laughs> another one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and you've got Charlie leaning on the, leaning on the mic for sheer death, you know. And uh, and we didn't have a bass player. So we were rehearsing in Islington and um, the bloody 62-date British tour. No, 63-date British tour, non-stop, starting within a fortnight. And I said, look, lads, we ain't got a bass player. All right, so we auditioned. And people came, and it just wasn't suitable. And then Alvin Gibbs come in. Every bit, skinny, the right height, wearing eyeliner, nail polish. He used always plays his guitar around his knees. Cigarette in his gob, and he even had a picture of Matt Boland on his face. Yeah, and um, I thought we've got to get this guy to start. You know, he walked in. He walked in that room and lit it up. I yeah, said, "Don't yeah. let him go, for God's sake!" And Nick, our guitarist, said, "Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure." I said, "No, don't let him go. Oh, go and get him back then." I said, well, "Why don't we just give him a chance?" So I nearly broke my neck running downstairs after him. And I said, Alvin, Alvin, don't go away. I said, look, you've got the job. You've easy got the gig. As long as I've got breath in my body, you've got this gig. Just come up and just play it, play it cool. A round of drinks was bought. We sat around the table getting to know each other. Um, he got grilled as what, what kind of music you like. And he, was, he said all the right things. T-Rex, Sweet, Slade, you name it, Alvin was it. Yeah, he even yeah. used to have when we went on the tour. He even used to have a full-length mirror at the back of the giant PA system, so he could just check how good he looks. <laughs> he definitely and I thought, looks I the like part. that. You know, 
oh, this guy's got it with knobs on. Yeah. You yeah. know, and what with me being a ferocious drummer and him being a ferocious basically and then you've got Nick and so you've got four really strong characters and a lot I learned everything off there if it wasn't for Charlie Harper and Nick Garrett I wouldn't have written a single song yeah, because yeah, yeah. they taught me never to be scared of anybody don't be scared of you write a song and everyone says oh what a load of shit you say yeah but look at me I don't I look good you know it's kind <laughs> of, I couldn't give a toss do you know what I mean? I could Absolutely. I said, we'll switch it off and don't don't listen to me. So so we did that and then cut a long story short, that's when I went into MGMM. And I went into MGMM and uh, would you like to hear a poem? Please do Absolutely. here's a poem called Despairing. <laughs> okay. Despairing. This? Is this by yourself? Despairing. This is all mine, yeah. Despairing, I wish I could swim. I wish I could swim like you. I wish I could try. But I'll sink to the bottom of the ocean, disappear from view without even goodbye. Despairing, I wish I could fly. I wish I could fly like you, fly through the sky. But I'd fall down to the ground, straight through the clouds without even a sound. When you're sick from their promises, left for dead by their lies, disillusioned and confused, and so empty and dead inside. Despairing, I wish I could run. I wish I could run like you. I wish I could try. But I'll trip. I'll stumble and fall straight to the floor, just like before. Despairing, how I wish I could swim. I wish I could swim like you. I wish I could try. But I'm sunk now. And at the bottom of the ocean, with a heavy load pressing down, and such pressure all around. That's, that's brilliant. Wow, yeah. that's, that's incredible, buddy. Oh, thank you. Uh, do you know? Do you know? If you clap at me, I start. I automatically. I don't know why, but as soon as I hear anyone clap, I start dancing. I'm dancing then. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a tune. Do, 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 do it again. Do it again. <laughs> I mean, we are. I'm dancing. I want to dance like you. I want to live like you. I want to screw like you. Right, I have a dream. The wise words of Dr. Martin Luther King, and now we've chosen to ignore them. However, we can't ignore him. As I witness this world of hatred, xenophobic territoriality battles, and mass misuse of power. Plus seemingly endless futile wars over a God that probably doesn't even exist. As I witness all these things, I can't help but despair for the future of our beautiful planet and beautiful me. With all her wonderful animals, for the, de- for the decent side of humanity, I fear for our children and our children's children. So now, as long as I have breath in my body, I will continue to fight against the sublime hypocrites, pimps, two-faced music thieves, and vile religious prejudice, the self-appointed Christian church mice, the human kind that is, small one-upmanship snobs in their little villages, all the animal cruelty cowards, fox hunters, pheasant shooters, rabbit trappers, and gagging orders on our freedom of speech, 
for which we have so many have perished in order to maintain in two world wars. Very good. Why, very there you good. go. It's good. In, is that worth a clap? Yeah. Hey! Here we go. Dancing. Hey, TV boy. You know. You know. Did you hear about? Did you hear? Did, <laughs> did you hear about the Irishman who, who, who fell off his ladders on the building site? Okay. Yeah. And he goes. Um, and 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 the foreman rushes up and he says to the other Irishman, he says, "Look." I'm going to ring an ambulance. His head's bleeding. I'll ring an ambulance. You stand here and support his head. So Paddy stands and he goes, his head, his head, his head, his head. That's <laughs> good, isn't it? That's very good. That's very good. Stevie, I wonder if we can ask you again about... Listen uh, this. Can we ask you about Stevie, uh, Trevor Boulder, my friend? Trevor. Yeah, because I wanted to get... Cause you, you yes, of course, Trevor. Yes. You worked with him afterwards, didn't you? After all your punk days and everything. I've, I've worked with him... Yeah, I worked with him um, after Simon Cowell. And um, I worked with Simon Cowell on yeah. drums with Sunita. Yeah. Um, I can't remember all the tracks, but there was one in particular... Um, I don't believe in miracles. An old zombie song. Yeah, um, you'll find that on my on my yeah, website I saw it. actually. I saw that. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, working with Trevor was fantastic because suddenly I'm working with somebody who's, you know, somebody put up a load of money for me to do these, this album which ended up as two albums because we worked so fast and ferociously and I'm writing all the time so we ended up doing um, the first album I, I, I call Dancing with Spiders because it's to do with Bowie and Trevor and the Spiders and, Trevor, um, Trevor was uh, just 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 for our listeners, uh, Trevor mm. was the Trevor uh, Boulder was the the bass player. Trevor, mm, the Spiders from Mars. Yeah, and bass Uriah player. Heap. Wasn't he in oh, it? The... Uriah Heap as well. And he was in Uriah Heap for thirty odd years. Yeah, yeah, he was in yeah, Uriah yeah, Heap when yeah. he passed away. Um, and I learnt so much of him. About Bowie as well, there's a lovely story. When they started off as Ziggy Stardust, the reason David Bowie was so excruciatingly thin is because he used to live on literally he'd sip milk and he'd in a tissue he'd have loads of slithers of oh, what's it, peppers red peppers and he'd nibble at these peppers and things but he'd stay in his room because he wouldn't go if they were in a hotel he wouldn't go in the breakfast room because he was bloody starving basically yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so he'd stay in the breakfast room and um, Mick Ronson, guitarist Mick Ronson, Trevor Boulder on bass, and Woody would always be in the breakfast room having their breakfast. And he says, this is how Trevor tells it, because he, he used to refer to Bowie as Dave. Yeah. You know, which is weird, weird to me. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, this Bowie, you know. And uh, he's calling him Dave. And uh, they're having the breakfast one morning, and... Dave comes down and he goes, hey, listen this, listen this, what I've got. Pulls a piece of paper out of his pocket and he says, it's on America's tortured brow and Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow. And he said, we just went, oh, nice one, Dave. Yeah, good one, good one. <laughs> very unexcited, you know. Not, not very impressed and, and with he, that he, one. He dashed up... <laughs> Well, no, they're from Yorkshire. They're not really impressed with anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trevor was the kind of guy that I'd say, guess what, Trevor? I've just gone to number one. He'd go, oh. 
Are you coming round on the weekend then? We'll do another track. It was very, they're very like that. And Trevor, Trevor used to be in a band in Hull called The Rats. Uh-huh. And the Rats were a blues band. And in those days, early 70, 71, it was a big thing. That if you were especially a bass player in a blues band, it was a big thing to have a, have a beard that, as long as possible. So Trevor managed to grow a big black beard down to his chest. Goodness. Uh, yeah. So when Mick got the when Mick got the um, got the backy, uh, he recommended Trevor. Trevor came down to London and walked into rehearsals. And the first thing that Bowie said was, "No facial hair. Don't want any any no facial hair. hair. Don't want masculinity." At all, really? Uh, well, I know what he meant, really. Yeah, yeah. It's all makeup and that, you of know. Of course, of course. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Never thought about it. Can't have a beard, bearded man with that bearded man with eyeliner on. Uh-huh. And of course, them being from them being from Hull, it was like, what do you mean makeup? <laughs> Mate, you want us to wear makeup? Says, yeah, wait till you see what you've got to wear. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, because he had this whole concept, him and his wife Angie Bowie, and. Um, so they went back to the hotel and he said, please, no facial hair. So they went back, had a few scotches, and uh, yeah. uh, Trevor decided to, well, it was Mick's idea, really, to, to shave his tash and his chin, leaving the two sideburns right down to his chest. Yeah. And he walked in with those sideburns. And those sideburns were never grown as sideburns. Those sideburns started off life as a beard. Oh, goodness. And me. when Angie saw him, she says, brilliant. She popped out to the chemist, came back, dyed his hair, because he had brown hair, actually, dyed his hair jet black and cut it into a feather cut. <laughs> you know what I mean by yeah, feather yeah, cut? Yeah, 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 and, absolutely. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and sprayed... His sideburns silver with silver cap <laughs> spray. What? And and that was it. A star, a star was born. Suddenly looks great. Jeez. And Bowie said, "That's it. Perfect. Wow. Perfect." And that's how that happened. So I went into the thing with with um, with Trevor, and uh, we started off with this guy. I wrote this great song with. I asked. I asked Glenn Matlock at first, because I had all this money, and I asked Glenn Matlock, do you want to play this on my album? Well, I'm glad I didn't get him, really, because he wasn't interested. And he just said, I'm sorry, mate, I don't... He says, anyway, if I did do it, I want £100 a track. Yeah, And I yeah. thought, bloody hell, I've got about 20 tracks, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was doing a Mick Ronson tribute in Hull, a uh-huh. big concert, on behalf of the late Mick, Mick Ronson. Yeah, And sure, uh, Trevor said... Uh, he said to Trevor, Trevor, you live in Little Wheaton, don't you, which is just outside York on the Hull Road. And he said, yeah. He says, well, I know a bloke who's got, he's got loads of money and he, he, he needs a bass player. So next time I go in the studio, John Spence, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant engineer, the greatest, greatest John Spence. I can't pre- he should be Sir John Spence, Lord, Lord Sir... <laughs> Fantastic grovel, grovel, Mister Suicide. <laughs> Change my name to Mister Wiper, shouldn't I? Mister RS Wiper. <laughs> yeah. So, if you're listening, John, if you're listening, John Spence, all oh, the very best, mate. John Spence once asked me, he says, "What would you do if you if Mark Boland walked in the studio?" I says, well, "As soon as I'd finished snogging him." <laughs> 
I'd ask you. I'd ask him about his songwriting as soon as I'd, as soon as I'd got him off the, picked him back up off the floor. Yeah. And uh, wiped his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> So, Trevor Boulder, yes. David Bowie, yes. Where was we? Um, I had this song called Wild Trash. Yeah. And the chorus just goes, Wild Trash! And it's got a Lou Reed uh, little backing thing. It just goes...
very, 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 very Bowie. Yeah, yeah. That's totally. on the album, anyway. And, uh, I can't wait and to hear totally, that. Yeah. Sounds awesome. And I was in the studio once, and, and Trevor went for a wee or something, and left me sat there with Bowie. Wow. And there was this kind of tumbleweed going along, yeah. and I didn't really know what to say. You know, what do you say? Yeah. I was a bit shy. And uh, he turned to me and he says, you know, when I was a young man like you, young man, he says, I had the repulsive urge to be something more than human. That's such a bizarre that statement. A great quote? It's a great quote. It's a bizarre Isn't statement. It, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not the words being then, used. It's it, what yeah. underlies there that's saying what, what he means, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 And then on his way out, he, put his, he said his goodbyes and everything. He put his hand on my shoulder and looked me straight in the eyes and said, uh, you know, Stevie, tomorrow belongs to those who can hear it coming. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. I like that. I like and, that. And, and, and that was it. I was, yeah, I was, thanks, Dave. That's just about my whole career summed up. Well, that justifies you know I mean? a little bit how Sorry. David Bowie was always sort of ahead of himself, you know? And he was ahead of the He trends. was very ahead of himself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we went on to do my albums the, the first one's called well I say the first one's the second one now but um, the first one is theoretically um, Dancing with Spiders because yeah. the spiders from Mars yeah um, Steve Clark I told you I, told you, I remember telling you that but I mean it, it was just so great to work with Trevor you know and he put on there, there was one time when, when I was sat with him and um, we just sat behind the control desk, and I went da 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 I suddenly realised that this wasn't a guy just playing that on bit. This was a guy who did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, such so as his, his fabulous bass line on John, I'm only dancing. John, I'm only dancing. And he's going, doom, 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 He makes the whole, when you're working with somebody like him, uh-huh. you know, you come out with a, a reasonable song. I'd bring to him a reasonable song. I said, oh, this is reasonable. Mm-hmm. And he'd make it into a masterpiece. You know, if you're lucky, if you're lucky enough to have people like that yeah, yeah, in, in yeah. your presence, it was brilliant. And we had loads of plans and, you know, and then in 2013, I give him a ring and he said, I've, I've got real bad chest pains. He says, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm off to the doctors tomorrow. I says, oh, well, I'm away to my caravan. They've got a caravan up in the lakes, you know. Uh-huh. And I uh, spent nearly all this year there doing the third book. So anyway, I went yeah. this caravan up in the lakes. And um, I says, I'll give you a ring when I get back. So anyway, he says, yeah, well, I'm going to the doctors tomorrow because I think I've got a chest infection. Anyway, I never heard from him. So I gave him a ring from the caravan. And I, his wife answered, Shelley. And I said, um, oh, no, it was Sarah, his daughter. Um, okay. Never met Sarah before. So I'd have recognised you, see, if, if I'd have seen her, because she'd probably 
got the sideburns as well. <laughs> I might, might, have, may, might have been in the I jeans. Presume. Yeah, yeah. This chick with sideburns, just like looking like Trevor with the frock on. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. anyway. So anyway, she says, oh, my dad's ill, he's got cancer everywhere. Exactly the same as Mick Ronson. And uh, I rang about a week later, and he was, by that time, he was on pallet pallet nursing, and he passed away while I was on the A1 coming back home. So I never got to see him again. And he came back home, and I was like, well, absolutely gutted. So that's when I started writing the book. So... Rock and Roll Chronicles, my first book, which is up. I'm not trying to sell you a book, but it's up on Amazon now, ten ninety nine next day delivery. Do right, <laughs> get it bought, people. <laughs> Stick it in the basket. <laughs> <laughs> Buy it or be strange. Go on, let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. You were just speaking about uh, uh, Trevor Boulder and G- uh, Gene Genie, blah, blah, blah. Um, I yeah. know that there's a, a wee yeah. rumour about Gene Genie um, that it was actually David Bowie's wife, Angie, in the video, but I also am led to believe <laughs> that that's not true, and more importantly, that you is false. know the person who it was. So can you tell me a little bit about... Candy. That, uh, yeah, Candy Darling. Candy? Yeah. Candy Darling. Um, Candy Darling is a, a transsexual mm-hmm. from the Andy Warhol um, scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, Such so as, the, you know, there was others that weren't quite as good looking, like Jane County. Mm-hmm. Um, during during the um, uh, Lou Reed song, uh, where it goes, Holly came from Miami, FLA, hitchhiked away across the USA, Plucked her eyebrows on the way, shaved her legs, and he was a she. She said, <laughs> "Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side." And that's Holly. Holly was Candy's best mate. No and then way. Candy Darling came from a yeah, and uh, also a transsexual. And, oh, and Candy true. Darling was um, was well, it's true. It's absolutely true. Believe me, I swear on my mother's life that is absolutely true. Oh no, because they were in they were in Chicago, and Trevor was saying. It's not Angie because Angie had been sent home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Angie had been sent. Angie had been sent home because she was very, she was very dominant. She was trouble. Um, she was big trouble. Well, whatever. Yeah, allegedly, um, okay. Tony DeFree sent her home because when from Chicago, for kind of interfering really. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In every everything. Yeah. But I mean, she did a lot of good and. Uh, she's friends with me on my Facebook. I never hear from her. But and anyway, the thing is, um, you met her, yeah. You spoke I don't like to knock person. anybody. I've I've never met Angie. No, no, no never. No, never. Oh, enough, oh, yeah. I've spoken to her on the on the Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think I think she liked me look. She liked me look. Uh huh. But the girl in the um, um, and then the second verse on Wild Side. Um, Candy came from out on the island in the back room. She's everybody's darling, but she never lost her head, even when she was given head. She said, <laughs> Hey, babe, take a walk in the wild side. And the color girls go, Do, 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 do. And then that's Candy. Yeah. And so when you see, next time you see that video, um, there's some footage of Bowie on stage. And then he's lean, leaning up against the wall smoking a cigarette. Yeah. 
and there's a there's a chick to his right, and she's dancing and posing, and with blonde hair, very Marilyn Monroeish. Well, that's Candy. Brilliant. And your pal, you know, and Candy, she got right? her name. He's like a good friend of yours, is that right? I, I wish I'd never met her. No, no, she was <laughs> she was dead before. She, I wish I'd met her. Yeah, she was dead before my time. Right, she okay, had leukemia, sure. and ah. we, we we lost her. And Holly's gone as well. But I mean, most of those guys are in their eighties now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, Bowie was 70 when he died. So it just kind of, yeah, missed, missed out, really. Yeah, would you like to know what Paul McCartney said when he, he and Jesus collided? Is this a true parable or what? Many years ago, I was on a train journey to a UK subs rehearsal when a gentleman got, off, got on and sat opposite me, dressed in a very hippie-style robes, sandals, long brown hair, scraggly hair and beard and the most beautiful piercing eyes I've ever seen in my life which glared at me constantly and rather unnervingly he carried it with him a tambourine however there was a very kind gentleness about his face he carried this tambourine and I wondered about it is he in a band a few tense moments passed that felt like a lifetime when suddenly he leaned forward and said to me in a soft spoken voice he introduced himself. Hi, I'm Jesus. Oh, good old, I said. <laughs> uh, I replied nervously. Oh, good old, mate. Well done. <laughs> and he told me he'd met the Beatles and even recorded them with them at Abbey Road. Fantastic, I said. I was impressed by the gentleman. Whoever he was, I love characters like this. And who knows, he might just be the man himself. Certainly looking the part. Perhaps he's been sound sent down to collect me. Well, not so, because he got off to the next stop. I remained on the ch- train. Bye then, Jesus, I called out to him, forgetting to look if he'd got holes in his hands. I should have had a look at that. But anyway, I, as I arrived at rehearsals, I told the others in the band, and everybody laughed, kind of laughed at me. Um, burst my bubble completely. Um, time rolled by, and in about 1980. I was listening to an interview with Paul of the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, that's Paul McCartney. Have you heard of him? Oh, yes, uh, I've heard of him. That's that yeah. bloke, isn't it? Scouser, isn't yeah. he? Wasn't he in Hollywood? Eh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think he was on his tenders. It's a he? bloke. I think, he's, I think he's got a bloke. I think he was a bloke. Somebody, you know, somebody in the church told me that they'd been blessed with a with a 10-inch penis. <laughs> and I says, oh... Trust said, me, Stevie, that yes, can also be a hell of a vicar. curse. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm not talking about him. He was talking about the Catholic priest who blessed him. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus, man. Try and keep up. Try and keep up. <laughs> um, so anyway, years later, years went by and Paul was going, Hi, Steve, is he suicide? Why aren't you a big star like me? I don't know, Paul. Maybe I don't eat enough beef burgers. <laughs> so anyway, um, so anyway, moving on, um, he said... He had a play. He had a place in Circus Road, and he had got yeah, yeah, around yeah. the corner from Abbey Road. And there was a knock on the door one time, and he answered it himself. And it was this guy who looked just like Jesus, with a robe on and this, that, and the other. And 
and everything. When I, by the way, I've missed something out. When I got to rehearsals, Charlie, our singer, Charlie Harper, Harper, uh-huh. he, he uh, Charlie Harper, in the building. <laughs> is he here? Is he still alive? Fucking hell! I don't know. How old is he? I don't know, mate. Anyway, sorry, that's uh, Tom Jones who keeps talking, keeps butting in. He yeah, only popped yeah. in for a crap. Get him back downstairs. Tell him to wait for tea time. With, look, get your hairy, bloody, walrus-looking head <laughs> out of my studio. <laughs> oh, it's not unusual. Hello, <laughs> I'd like to do this in, in the style of a club star. They always do that, don't they, club singers? Uh, I want to yeah. die. Yeah. I'm taking it you used to watch uh, shooting they stars, did you see me? Hey? Were you a fan of shooting stars with Vic Reeves and Bald Mortimer? Oh, weren't they great? Yeah, exactly. Weren't they I bloody great, yeah. We're taking it from the club uh, style, you know? With a, yeah, that's where, exactly where I was taking it from. Brilliant. And uh, when, when, when they do Slade at home and they got the free bento steak and kidney pie and they're doing Dave's haircuts, they said, coming in with the boy around me still. <laughs> and it was really funny because when I first met him, I asked Dave if he'd signed these albums I had of them. Yeah. And he goes... Uh, yeah, he, 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 he says, are you going to Byro? And he said Byro. <laughs> and I thought, that's like the reason Martin with that. Just a, he says, we just come in from Germany. There's no bloody tea bags in here. And he was really fussy, you know. And uh, he picked up this album that I'd got when they were skinheads. And he looked at it and he looked twice at it because obviously he, did, he hadn't seen it before probably because of all the skinheads and that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he said... Uh, he said, uh, I said, that's you there. You should know which one of me. He's like... I'm only joking. You should know who's not joking. And the, the thing is, like, Len, Big Len Tucky, who was married to Susie Quattro, yeah. um, he became like a surrogate manager and proceeded to do absolutely nothing. Yeah, so yeah, he wasn't yeah. really, he wasn't interested. I'll look after you. You know, I'm supposed to get on telly and then he'll take all the money. That's what he meant. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. uh, it's great bloke. Don't get me wrong, great bloke, Len. But he was he was managing Slade at the time and uh-huh. he got me the interview that's on steviegsuicide.com. Yeah. If you go into the sections, yeah, and Slade are there, the interview. I, I, I interviewed Dave and Don. And... Um, uh, he told Dave about me and gave him a track of mine called Rodeo Boys. Yeah. And it's very, Rodeo Boys, Rodeo Boys. I mean, I can do all that. Um, uh, it's Christmas! <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> it's Christmas! That's it. So I can do all that. But it has to be in D. Nah, right, yeah, Anyway, yeah, he yeah. told Dave... And I'm sat here having a glass of wine and spaghetti. And the phone went, it's Dave Hill. Never spoke to him before in my life. He says, Dave Hill, Slade. <laughs> I says, oh, yeah, all right then, Dave. Are you all right? Um, he says, now you coming around for a crap? 
some of you. <laughs> so anyway, no, I'm only joking. He, he says, uh, he says, he says, um, Len says you're up for the gig. And, and I says, well, I can do a nod, yeah, but I can only do it in D. <laughs> he says, why? What's what's nodding? He's only been in the band 50 years, do you know what I mean? Yeah. E. <laughs> e, Dave. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. Until you start believing in yourself, you're going to have a life. It's your life. 
then Sweet came into me. I went over to Spofforth and actually auditioned physically for Sweet. Okay, you know? yeah. And wow. I walked in with this crappy old, tatty old second-hand bass. <laughs> and as soon as the guitarist saw that, the other guitarist, he knew I wasn't a bass. Player, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he, he says, is that your bass? And I said, well, yeah. Because, I mean, I'm going, I'm going for Brian Connolly's job. I thought it was just a lead singer. And it was the same thing. It's all in E. And I, I just couldn't reach it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was either, it was either um, Slade, Sweet, or, or nothing. It's bizarre. It's been a bizarre life, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To have one foot in a grey area. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know, I, I just can't. I just cannot sing above my station. Uh-huh. Everybody's got a key. Everyone's got a key that means even Rod Stewart won't sing if it's above his key. Yeah, yeah. You know, mind you, he's top voice. But um, so anyway, Tina Turner. I did Tina Turner, and um, every morning I went in. I worked with her for three weeks, and every morning I went in. And my job was lighting check. And it was the most boring job in the world because I had to stand at the mic where she stands. Yeah. While they get all the lights right. Because I had all the big hair and everything. Uh, and every time she saw me, she'd, she'd rub her hair with her hand, you know, and I'd rub mine with my hand, mess it, mess it up at thought with laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we both had this ridiculous hair. So you're basically um, a body double and, for uh, Turner, yeah? Oh, so I was a double for Tina Turner, yeah, yeah. It was only because of loads of hair. and Well, the light had to shine through her hair. Yeah, And yeah, the light had to shine through my hair as well. Um, and then uh, every morning I'd get my newspaper servicing for her. And I was going to this shop where they sell Kinder Surprise eggs. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, there's a little toy in each egg, isn't there? Oh, I so every morning, love them. Yeah, every morning I'd take her a Kinder Surprise egg. And while she was getting her hair done and makeup, she'd make up the little toy. Nice. And by the end of the first week, she had a whole desk, <laughs> makeup desk, was full of these Kinder Surprise eggs. Do you know, why didn't I pick them up and bring them home? Oh, I, I, I never thought. Off. Oh, my God. I, I, I left the set. What For all I know, they were gone in the bin. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. It was the same with Freddie Mercury when he goes, uh, I'm the great... Pretend, uh, and, and and we had all these cardboard cutouts of Freddie going up this staircase. And uh, when we finished, somebody said, "Do you mind putting all them in in, in the skip for me?" Oh, yeah, no. So there must, there must have been about fifty. So if you ever see that video, I'm the great pretend. Uh, yeah, yeah. Familiar. And there's all these cutout Freddies. And I wish I'd just kept one or two. Do you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Um, but I never thought. I just never thought. And in those days, there were no, there were no cameras in phones. So you could do a selfie yeah, or anything. Yeah. You know, so it, it was a different year. So I bought these Kinder Surprise eggs for Steen Turner. And uh, she loved it. I eventually bought all of them. And the, the shop ran out. <laughs> and she said to me, see me. Where's, where's my Kinder Surprise oh, eggs? Oh, no. Uh, at the end of the show, she says, I've got something for you. And she picked up one of her albums and signed it to my lovely Stevie, oh, Tina what? Turner. You still so got the album, yeah? yeah? No, it's because I went to the pub and got pissed and left it in the pub. Stevie! Rule 101! <laughs> what are you doing that? 
And the oh. Way. Well, somebody's got an original. Jesus, <laughs> I man. I should ring her up and get another one. You should I know, do. it's weird, isn't it? Oh. But that, that's me. I have another little poem for you. It's Please, called Village of Peace. The haunting willow weeps. The creeping reaper sneaks. As a quiet village sleeps and dawn begins to creep. Whilst the dead lay in eternal slumber beneath the silent graveyard, seeped in wonder. Hang on, I've got an itch in my ear then. <laughs> Machine gun owls may toot and tell as mist descends the wishing well. And on the village green, a fox is seen. What beautiful, what beauty surrounds this elegant being. Bottle tops and bumblebees, benches made from ancient trees. Cockle gives his morning song. Now all the birds will sing along. The steady milkman does his round, completes his work without a sound. So still and tranquil, the village pond breeds life so rife where frogs belong. And deep below, their tadpoles grow. Tiny legs and arms begin to show. Parades of idyllic lilies shy, hide baby ducks in shades of rye. And on the glass-like water's edge, marauding midges hatch their eggs. The silent the local priest prepares her sermon amidst her flock of ragged mermen. As midday approaches, bells will ring. Peals of hope show signs of spring. These bells of hope won't go unnoticed, but may be heard as peaceful protest. Beside the bus stops, flowers grow as daffodils of yellow glow. Soon morning dew will sweep the land and create fresh beauty no man could plan. Across these fields of peace now grow in final frosts of winter's glow. For in this land of England's green, with pleasant hillsides overseeing, smiling down for all to see, dripping shades of empathy, thus we are blessed by nature's ways. We must treasure this all our days. Stevie, you were you were born to write, Mama. Go, go and stand up and get your dance on because this is happening. Well done. Yay! Oh, I'm dancing now. Exactly. What are you doing clapping. I'm dancing. <laughs> I'm dancing. I'm dancing. Mary Robinson. I'm dancing. Oh dear, I wet my pants. I'm going to dance till I wet my pants. Don't dance if you wet your pants. It'll run down dance. your leg. <laughs> And he'll be covered in snag. <laughs> Coughing. <laughs> oh Coughing chronicles. Jesus, man. I see a coffin. It is a play, a play in which I die. And nothing helps till life expires, however hard we try. I see a graveyard full of fun, a playground soaked in pain. Of hopeless dreams which fade away, then perish in the rain. I see a birth for what it's worth, consumed in hell we cry, till death ensues, our walking dead, reach up to touch the sky. I see a grave, a grave too full, ambitions brushed aside, whatever tranquil peace dwells here, beneath, in death's surprise. Yeah. Hey. What do you think of that, man? Well, you can't boy. write that if you... 
You can't ride that if you're in EastEnders. I'll see a coffee. Definitely. I'll see a coffee. Here's a play, mate. You know, I'll see a. In which I die, I play with it in I die, boy. Mm. And nothing helps. No life experience. However hard we try, you cunts. <laughs> Stevie, are you a John Cooper Clark fan by any chance? No, no, I don't know anything about the geezer. Okay. He, he reminds me of Bob Dylan. <laughs> well, he looks a bit like Bob Dylan. He no, definitely looks like I'm, him on the cover I'm of just, one album. Yeah. Well, well, I'm much better looking anyway for a kick up. And sure. uh, I, I, was good, I was good friends with uh, Wordsworth. There's a songbird who sings as if that song was meant for me. She calls me in the morning, then again in time for tea. Amidst the traffic howling and from the pollution you can see, she sings out loud her song of love whilst flying safe and free. I hope you never leave us or end up pushed away. We really need that song of love to help us through each day. So carry on, my darling bird, with wings to fly so high. I need to hear you every day, for without you, we'd die. Beautiful, beautiful stuff, man. Honestly, lovely. I'm dancing. I'm dancing. Who's clapping? I'm I'm bloody dancing here. I'm dancing and winging down my leg. Winging down my leg. Winging down my leg. Now, Stevie, you're grateful. Yeah. I've got, I've got a great, I've got a poem here for you. It's, it's, um, this is called Fragile Butterfly after the second, um, that's the name of the book as well, second, isn't it? Uh, it's the second book, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Young caterpillars falling by, who someday soon will reach the sky on powdered wings of wonderments in silent flight of pure contentment. Red admirals may also be that lost relative back to sea, a distant loved one from the past, taken from us, his home at last. From chrysalis to open skies, our gentle wings are still bright. Just delicate and silent strength to lift us all in sweet lament. Adorned with pastel colours bright, this purely visual delight, what tranquil moments she so inspires. Of all your presence, I will never tire. My heart is broken, my demons many. If you stir my heart so heavy, my friendship's cold, my body's old, rough, talent sold, or so I'm told. Yet I cycle buffs a butterfly will flutter by and fly so high. On velvet wings across the ocean, worlds away from life's commotion, like flowing poetry. Gliding by, we can't deny you butterfly. So free and silent in the sky, you're a truly sweet butterfly. The dead sink their claws in me, the living steal the air I breathe, and lepers pick their days in careful pain. The smell of death around a suicide, no pretty flowers make you want to cry. The Satan spreads his wings and calls your name. There you go. That's a uh, I'll show up now, boring you. Not at all, buddy. That's beautiful stuff, man. Really beautiful, honestly. Is it all right? Stuff. Yeah, that's it. I'd, I'd like to just read one little quote from me to end this. Yeah, absolutely. Are you ready? Absolutely, buddy. Our journeys in life are often so hard. 
It's all of equally vital importance to each individual. I truly believe that a lifetime spent with dedication, honesty and respect for others is a lifetime well spent. No safety nets, no rehearsals. Stevie's a suicide. That's me. Oh my god, wow, what was that like? My god, and now we can catch a breath at last. What a guy! I honestly think one of my lungs has just collapsed. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure we're going to see more of Stevie. I'm sure Stevie's going to come back at some stage because, uh, well, we certainly hope he does because he was perfect for us. Great show. I think if there's anybody that we do need to kidnap and drag up here, it would be Stevie. Although, I've got a feeling there'll be no kidnapping required. (laughs) Yeah, I think Stevie's quite happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again, Stevie, mate. Brilliant. Hero and a legend. Keep on rocking. Keep on dancing. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode, guys. And until the next time, from Lee and me, it's wax on, wax off.